Just a word of warning, episode 20 does deal with some very sensitive issues regarding suicide and we do encourage all listeners, if they are feeling down or in need of help and support, to contact Samaritans, the support line or suicidepreventionlifeline.org. There is always someone out there to help listen to you um, and help you through any difficulties that you may be experiencing. Welcome to episode 20 of Conversation with Eagle Mountain, a podcast about the tribe. I'm your host Lance and joining me on the panel today is Liz. Hello. Hill. Hey. And Sabine. Hi. With episode notes done by Matt Ketter and myself. Selena, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have... Please, hear me out. I know about your loyalty to Trudy, but I also know that kiss meant something. Right, I think I'm in love with you. Don't say that. Why not? It's true. That's why you have to make up your mind. Choose. Me, no Trudy. It can't go on like this. I have to know, Bray. I have to know. So episode 20, the screenplay was done by James Wiley. It was directed by John Reed. And the episode synopsis will be read out by Liz. As the mall rats prepare for the impending attack on the mall by the locos, Bray sets Ebony straight with the truth about Zoot's mysterious disappearance and comes to an agreement with the locos' new leader. Meanwhile, Zondra learns of Lex's indiscretions that led to Ebony's escape and refuses to forgive him. Matters may not be improved when Tysan decides to make things more harmonious. So episode 20 kicks off with um, Bray and Ebby's little discussion as they come to an agreement concerning a deal that will benefit both the Locos and the Morats, as Bray offers her the means to power in exchange for leaving them alone. And it's this event that quickly leads Ebby to spin a yarn for a tribe about being told she must leave them in a dream by Zoot. So yeah, quite a few questions here. Um, first of all, what did you think of the deal between Ebony and Bray? Um, what did you think of Ebony's speech? And why do you think the Locos kind of bought into this story? Because, yeah, Zoot's kind of a ruthless leader, but he's not really this religious icon at this point in time. Um, yeah, what are your thoughts about all of that? First off, I just really loved the conversation between Bray and Ebony because it showed us so much about Bray's true character. And I think Ebony said it all. She, she summed up Bray's existence to a point with her, I see what you're saying, man, but that's your talent, making... What you want seem like the best thing for everybody. Mm-hmm. And yeah. she says that about Bray, but it's very true about herself as well. Like attracts like. Because, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well, yeah, she knows how to spin things in her favor. And I actually never really noticed until now that Bray actually gave her the idea keep the name alive. Yeah. The rituals, the legend of Zoot, just pretend he's still alive. I was going to bring that up, like, how we've kind of talked about that, and that was totally, like, Bray's idea from the word. Yeah. And it, like, we've only been talking about it for 20 episodes, and now it's like, oh, hey, <laughs> way to catch up. 
Yeah. Bray actually is the person who always said he didn't want his brother to be seen as a god. And yet there he was telling her to make him out to be some kind of god. And she simply responds with, cool, a new religion with me as the high priestess. Well, remember, she, she did start the priestess thing before. She yeah, was, that was... The yeah. priestess power. So she, he just kind of played up into what she wanted, really. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, he, he did play I up. I mean... I that he said he didn't want to do so yeah he started the whole zoot lives craze the religion the god status at the end of the day it's all on bray here way to go bray um uh, i actually i really like bray in this episode and i really love this conversation between him and ebony um mm -hmm. i love how genuine and honest bray is able to be for a few minutes and with mm -hmm. ebony of all people everyone else he has to tiptoe around every time he says anything it's the wrong thing Every other female in his life is annoyed with whatever he says, no matter how hard he's trying not to cause conflict. And just for a moment with Ebony, he's able to express how he really feels about this whole thing. You know, he has not been able to mourn his brother properly or even talk about how he feels about it. You know, Trudy has not provided that for him. She does not care that his brother's dead. She never loved his brother. That causes a lot of tension between the two of them. But here with Ebony, he can express you know, the remorse, the guilt, the anger and frustration at his brother's death. She doesn't mock him for it, even though she easily could. She just hears him. And he's like, when he says, do you think I'm happy he's dead? She can't respond to that. She knows, of course he's not. She gets that he loved his brother. And I do, it's a really neat scene of respect between adversaries. Mm -hmm. Like for a moment, again, these bitter exes, they can't stay angry at each other all the time. They they connect. There's something about Bray and Ebony that always brings them back together. There was a place they connected. If their ideals were just a little different, they would be such a great team together. But um, so I did, I really like that. I like how she's listening to him and letting him get this out. And he can be honest with her about how he's feeling right now. And um. For a second, they just dropped the facade. He's like, look, what do you want? I just don't want you bothering my friends. She doesn't really want to bother his friends. So she's like, okay, what have you got to offer? You know, it's, I like the deal. I like um, the diplomacy behind it. Mm -hmm. You know, Bray knowing exactly what she wants. She wants power. And attacking the Mallrats ain't going to get her there. There's no point in that. And she knows the same thing. And she's honest about her concerns. How do I know your brother isn't alive and you guys aren't starting something? And I did know, I did recognize uh, as soon as Zoot, the, the Chosen storyline started propping up, I remember the first time watching it and thinking, wait a second, that sounds really familiar, this idea of Zoot mm -hmm. as a god and an icon. And then I remembered this episode between Bray and Ebony and I was like, oh my gosh, Bray inadvertently started something. He didn't mean to. It was just an off the cuff, yeah. like whatever, just say, mm -hmm. you've got a meeting out the palm of your hand, Ebony, tell him whatever you want, you know, and he had. I imagine his face. Imagine the moment Bray realized that that's what it turned into. That's not what he was going for. He wasn't trying to turn his brother into God. You guys just said that's the last thing he really wanted. But um, but it's funny. I would have loved to see more of funny. Bray and Ebony together, like working together. There is a dynamic energy between Bray and Ebony yeah. that's always very fascinating, and um, so I really love that. I also really love the fact that. Bray being productive. I love him. You know me. I love productive care. Blah, blah, blah. I say it all the time. I know. Um, but I like the fact that Bray caused this problem. He didn't mean to. He got captured by the Locos. He accidentally led Ebony back to the mall, put his friends in danger. And as soon as he realized that, you know, none of their precautions were going to protect them, he went out and solved this problem. 
You know what I mean? I liked that. I liked Bray going out there to fix something that he had caused and just like, okay, we can't fight the Locos. I need to just talk to Ebony and make a deal with her. And it's not like a bad deal. He's not throwing anyone under the bus. He's not screwing anyone over. He's not making any promises he can't keep. He just gives her his brother's necklace, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and he handled it. He made sure his home and his friends are going to be fine. He, like he fixed the problem he started by accident. And I was like, good for you, Bray. Kudos. Good problem solving. I like that. As for the Locos believing Ebony's story, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if at the time there were plenty of them who were just like, really? But like, whatevs. You know what I mean? Because yeah. yeah. I don't think really they have a better option at this point, though. Like, right. Like, what else are they going to do? It's like, you know, like, right, fine, you're guess. giving us the information we need. We might as well just go along with it, whatever. Yeah. You know, um, it's, she says it with conviction. And yeah. I mean, I'm sure there are some kids who definitely were like, dude, that was his necklace. Where'd it go? How'd she get it? Whoa. You know, I'm sure there was some yeah. of them who felt that way and others who were just like yeah i guess that works for me whatever you know what i mean yeah sure. i mean it's not like they can just join another tribe they've made so many enemies yeah they're 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 nestled in this is their tribe this is where they are most of these kids aren't looking for rhyme or reason anyway so um yeah you know they, they, she can get them to chant anything <laughs> all you have to do is if you're a lo loco leader you just need to yell a lot with conviction <laughs> You know, so yeah, I'm not too surprised that they fell in line with it. Um, and especially if you think about it, that later a part of this tribe joins the Guardian and his crazy ideas. Well, I think a lot of that just goes back to the fact that they are kids and they're looking for stability of an adult figure, even though there mm -hmm. are no adults. So it's the person who screams loudest, who looks somewhat more like an adult. And why not go with that person? Because... They're the next best thing we have to a mom and dad right now. It's also a natural progression to the evolution of this world. Like we've already discussed, think tribes like the Locos and the way they run, they're not going to go very far. You know, those, those movements, they peter out, you know, and they lose their momentum. And the Locos lose their momentum, especially you have to consider that there's another virus coming up. Things change, you know, and... Um, I like the fact that we don't know exactly how, you know, certain kids break off from the Locos and start the Chosen, but it is fascinating to know that these things are happening in the background, that this world is mm -hmm. always churning, wheels are always turning, change is always happening, the dynamics are always happening outside the mall. It makes the world feel far more alive. And I also noticed Sammy in the background. Yes, he Rose. is in this episode. And I did not realize that he was an extra all the way back to season mm -hmm. one. I was yeah. like, holy crap, this kid was yeah. hanging around the set for four seasons before they gave him a, a role. <laughs> I don't think, like, the casting agency in New Zealand is that big. I mean, even if you look at Lord of the Rings, there are tribe actors in there. So I'm sure they're just like, any kid in this age group, like, come on down for fun, we'll give you pizza. It was actually something I only realized um, when Lucas Hayward got in touch with us. We were trying to get yeah. him on for an interview i remember that oh uh, yeah i was watching it today i still forgot that he was in it i was like oh wow yeah <laughs> i remember that yeah no i'd never caught him in the background of season one from season two on i'd seen him but um yeah i missed him every time in season one and i so when i saw him i was like wow that's how long you've been an extra that's crazy <laughs> oh the things sammy has seen <laughs> who did anyone notice the little joke between bray and ebony with his white man speak with forked tongue I was like, whoa, did you just say that? And her response instantly, always, even Zoot, especially Zoot. 
Yeah. I like it because it's a hint at the history of their own country. I mean, every yeah. country has some history of colonization. Yeah. And historically, most colonization has been done by, you know, white Europeans. And so I do like that little touch of history in New Zealand, you know. Um, and that is definitely something that would be part of Ebony's heritage. And uh, so I, I, thought, I thought it was a really nice touch, you know, just a nice intimate part of conversation. You either get it or you don't. But again, it's just yeah. a great conversation between these two people. It makes you feel the history between them and the complicated dynamic between them. They should hate each other. They act like they hate each other. And yet they're able to have completely civil conversations and moments of understanding. So it's... And he knows he can get away with, with saying that to her. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I don't ever, like, I think we're supposed to want to, them to hate each other. But I think there's a mutual understanding that isn't hate. Like... Yeah, they're exes or what could not have been, I don't know. But I don't, I think there's almost like a mutual respect mm -hmm. there and not so much of a hate. I just think it's a very complicated dynamic, um, an organic sort of um, relationship, just like in real life. You can never really put the needle on what these two feel for each other because it's always evolving with the way they're feeling at any particular moment. It's just complicated. They have history. They've been through a lot. They've seen a lot together. They've shared a lot together. And that's just realistic, you know? I, I have relationships with people like this. It's just not that simple how you feel about them. And once you share something intimate with someone, it can't always be easy to walk away from them, even if it would be better if you did. Mm -hmm. They're a really great example of two people who, they, even though they've got great chemistry and sometimes have great understanding and look like they would work so well together, they simply can't. You know, there's certain places they just can't come together. It's They're just very fascinating to watch. And it's enjoyable for three seasons watching them dance around each other. One of the best people Dwayne has chemistry with, her and Beth. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I, I do like how like um, preceding seasons do utilize Ebony's speeches because she is really great at controlling crowds and using her words. And I really like that aspect of her. She's, she's not just physical. She's got all this, these words she, she can move people with. Yeah, she is a fantastic orator. She's probably the best in the entire, like, all five seasons. Anybody who's ever had to control a crowd with their voice alone. Yeah. She mm -hmm. is the best at it. She can handle almost any crowd and yeah. has only failed maybe twice at, you know, quelling the raging mob. And um, it's, it's so sad because it's like this girl has so much potential to fix this city. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, Ebony could be the greatest leader the city would yeah. ever see. Uh, but uh, she gets in her own way. <laughs> Definitely one of those people who's like painted as one sort of character, and yet there's m so much more to her. Like, especially early on, like she is the villain, and yet she is one of the stronger characters, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I actually like the fact that. Sometimes her villainy isn't even painted as villainy. It's more that her goals are just different. Like, what she wants yeah. happens to be different from our heroes. And her belief in how she should get it is different from our heroes. And she's just as determined as our heroes are to get it. I don't, I'm not saying this to excuse any of her abominable actions that she'll take. But I do think it's fascinating that she isn't painted in black and white um as just a bad guy we always really understand her motives and why she does the things she does and they can be very relatable even if we wouldn't do the same thing we at least get where she's coming from and why she thinks this is the way it needs to be done you have to keep her quiet we're expecting an attack 
Don't tell me what to do. You of all people. What's that supposed to mean? Oh, I've seen how you look at Bray, making big eyes at him. Trudy, your baby is screaming and you're ignoring it. Who do you think you are? You come in here, boss me round, accuse me. I don't have to take that. Then look after Brady properly. I will, if you get out of my face. Trudy and Amber's so-called friendship, um, and I say so-called because obviously in the last podcast we did mention how unhealthily one-sided it was. And it's in the scene that Trudy instantly turns the situation on its head as Amber comes to find out what was happening with Brady and she snaps at her. Just to shift the topic a bit, but does anyone feel sorry for Amber at all in this scene? No. <laughs> I absolutely feel sorry for Amber. Yeah, I feel bad for Amber. For Pete's sake, she hasn't done anything wrong. She has never done anything to earn tr- the way Trudy treats her. Okay, she's literally checking up on a crying baby when they're supposed to be waiting for an invasion. Mm-hmm. And all she's she's like, "What's going on?" She, poor Brady is screaming her lungs out. So she comes in to make sure Brady's okay. And it's not as though you know Trudy's preoccupied or she can't take care of Brady. She just doesn't care what happens to Brady herself or anybody else. And then gets the, has the nerve to be pissed when Tr- Amber asks, what's the matter? Amber doesn't come in and accuse her. She asks her, what's the matter first? Like, maybe there's mm-hmm. a reason Trudy's behaving this way and Brady's screaming. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So she asks her. I would have immediately come in and said, shut this up. Stop it right now. What, you know what I mean? But no, Amber comes in patiently with understanding, like, what's happening? What's going on? And Trudy immediately attacks her. And at this point, it's just like, I'm sick of your crap, Trudy. You know what I mean? Amber did not deserve this. She hasn't done anything wrong. And she's right. You're letting your child scream at the top of her lungs. She's, maybe she's hungry for Pete's sake. Take care of your kid. At some point, you just yeah. there's no excuse for the way Trudy is behaving. She's just really good at playing the victim at this point. She just doesn't care. And takes, yes, and she takes zero responsibility for the way she acts and causes her own problems because she has caused this problem herself and and just, ugh, mm-hmm. it, it's so much for friendship i'm right up there with you like ugh. <laughs> the only reason there's a friendship at all is because amber's putting the effort in i just yeah. like the fact that for once someone tells amber that she's the boss of them but who do you think you are you you come in here boss me around accuse me i don't have to take that no. Um, yeah, you do because okay. no. I, mean, I don't think no, Trudy no. like Amber ever came into boss. It was a hey, your kid's yeah, screaming. Can I even help yes, you? I mean, your even, bias like, is off the charts right now. Yeah. I know how much you love Trudy, but yeah. that's ridiculous. She was looking nothing wrong. Her crying on her shoulder the other the other day, and now she's coming to check on her and like. No, that's not fair. <laughs> no, that, that's such an unfair yeah. judgment right there. Sorry, Absolutely. You're acting like you're acting like Amber is the one who did something wrong, and ooh, Trudy called her out, and it's like, uh, did you see the same scene no. I did? You know what? How I love it when people <laughs> mean to Amber. Yeah, we know, we get it, even when it's completely unjustified. Because I mean, even if like, because we see Trudy, she's you know, in one of her moods again, and Amber's really just like, hey, what can I do to help? And let me help you. And Trudy's just like. Nope, I'm gonna bite your head off. Like, and stay away from my oh. boyfriend while you're at it. Like, oh no, like, on, really? really? Older uh. you ten, knock it off. Stop it. Just I'm. Ugh. I, I, I will say I did like the um, 
Trudy drawing love hearts and writing Bray because it just instantly reminded me of like yeah teenage laughter. Yeah. I thought that was quite like annoyingly cute, but yeah. <laughs> I it does make me wonder cute. what the writers were going for with Trudy because there are times when it feels as though they are aiming at true depression as being which going on mm. with Trudy, like a chemical imbalance yeah. in her brain and with her hormones. And there are times when she really does come across as someone who that is what she's suffering from. Yeah. And then there are other times they paint her as nothing more than a petulant child. You know what I mean? Who's just throwing a tantrum because she's not getting what she wants. Little ago. So I am confused as to what they're going for with Trudy. Is Trudy clinically depressed or is Trudy just being a brat? You know? Um, I think it's a little. Yeah, I'm with you on that because I was wondering that as well. You can have a little bit of both. Because if she's clinically depressed, there is like some excuse for what she's doing because she can't quite help it. But if she's just being a brat, then it's completely inexcusable that she's behaving this way. I mean, so it's a little hard to how to feel about her behavior. Like in this moment, this scene is totally painted as Trudy's just being a snot. That's it. Whole scene. That's how this whole episode she's treated that way. But for example, in the last episode, she's treated with a little more sensitivity in that maybe she can't help the way her hormones are controlling her and the way her brain. Are we back to Trudy being possibly bipolar? Yeah. I mean, it's. I think it still fits very much in with Trudy's. But as soon as character. Trudy decides to not be this way anymore, she just isn't. That's why I don't think she's bipolar because when she decides, okay, I'm going to behave and be a decent person. Boom, she's just suddenly a very decent person. Yeah, sure, she's emotional, but she controls how she treats people despite how she's feeling. It doesn't feel like this is something that's out of her control. It's just that she doesn't feel like exerting any control over her actions right now. And when she does decide to, you know, behave, she's perfectly capable of keeping herself, be, you know, you know what I mean? So that's why I don't feel like it's a medical condition. Yeah, I don't know. To me, it always did feel. I feel like, like it's, it's medical. medical. It, like, it wouldn't just go away. That's neurodiversity. But it, yeah, it doesn't just go away. But though. with Trudy, it does. Like this pattern of yeah. Like okay, okay, how do I explain this? Never All right. Um, for example, it, it it's almost like this is a bad message to tell people who suffer from depression that oh, it'll just go away if you decide to act right. So I don't really feel like that's what they're trying to do with Trudy. Because that's not how it works. You know, if you actually suffer from depression or, you know, bipolar um, disorders or whatever, they don't go away just because you decide to be determined that you're going to be a better person. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And with Trudy, this isn't a cycle of behavior. Yeah, she's emotional going forward. She'll always be a very emotional person. But she's never like this again, you know, where she's just unhinged without a good reason for being unhinged very much you know where she's just treating people like garbage just because and then immediately falls apart it doesn't feel like that's something you could just make her go away because you just decided to have an epiphany see i've always seen it as a cycle with trudy but. because once trudy comes back to take care of her daughter we don't see her this bad again without like a real yeah, I, you know, I, I guess I'm not explaining myself well. I just it doesn't feel like this is a you know an actual condition that you would need pills for or therapy for because she's able to just it's like it's like Ram being di dying. He's supposed to be dying, and then you know he's cured with tough love, and it just doesn't make any sense. 
anymore. Like I thought this guy was on death's door. He was in a coma and he needed medical, he needed pills, but all he needed was some tough love from Slade and he's fine. And we're not going to explain that. That's what Trudy getting better feels like. It doesn't feel like it was ever an actual condition she had to get over, just more behavior. Yeah, That's I know what you mean. Mm -hmm. Thank you. <laughs> I was like, am I explaining myself? No, I'm with you on this, yeah. Because, I mean, I've had families suffer from depression and bipolar mm. um, disorder, and it doesn't go away just because they're trying really hard. You know what I mean? Like, my aunt, she actually needed to get medication. Because her bipolar disease, it didn't go away just because she tried to be a better woman and a better mom or a better friend. It was out of her control. She did not have control over the chemistry in her brain. She had to get outside help. You know, so no matter how hard she wanted to be a better person, it was always going to be there, a monkey on her back, making it impossible for her to even just get through a day. She had to get outside help. And so that's, yeah. How am I going to explain my thoughts on this? Yeah, <laughs> I see it as a cycle. Like it's not necessarily a a switch or an outside thing getting better. Like you know, there are obviously no pills or anything in this this world. But I think she Trudy looks outside of herself to find that sort of thing that she needs. So like we've talked about her postpartum depression and all of that, and once she. I think it's a conscious decision and even though it's always in the back of her brain to have these thoughts she she's able to push them aside for her daughter or for whatever it is that she needs to do it for and that you know as someone who does suffer from mental things as well like there are things that I can do for myself to even get out of that headspace I don't think that's and an unreasonable thing to say. Oh, I'm with you on that one, Hill. Yeah, because there's, I mean, there's a lot more in neurodiversity than just bipolar or stuff that needs to be treated with drugs, as people might see it. But exactly. Like, I feel like brains, like our our brain, can be wired to self-regulate as well. And I, I, I've actually read that, like people with depression and things like, or um autism even they are very good at masking and it's kind of like a superpower that they have is we are i say we because i'm i consider myself in this category as well like we know kind of what our things are that aren't quite right mm -hmm. and we learn to adapt and mask because even like in tri world any sort of weakness would be a weakness and you don't want to portray that mm -hmm. You know, if I'm this depressed lump that can't survive myself, nobody is going to want me in their group if I'm just going to be a leech on society. But, I mean, in, t in terms of Trudy, though, she's not, she's not worried about that. She's, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't feel like she cares about that either. She never shows any real concern for the fact that the way she's behaving is making her an outcast in her own group. She just doesn't care she doesn't seem to even fear that they'll throw her out and then she's shocked if it even comes up that they might not want her i just don't feel like her behavior is someone who recognizes she needs to like is trying to mask i, I get what you guys are saying about what you yeah. go through i'm just saying that trudy's behavior does not reflect what you guys are saying that's all like she does not behave that way and that's not the way her scenes and her actions are painted in any way yeah, she has no idea that she's doing things wrong. 
at the moment. Yeah, but she That's does the because then she immediately apologizes. I think that's a different wrong. Like, she's not oblivious that it's wrong to treat people or act this way. She just doesn't care when she's doing it. She's mm-hmm. just like, oh, I've always been able to get away with treating people this way, so I'm going to do it. And only after does she go, oh, maybe that maybe that wasn't a good idea, and then she apologizes. That's a thing, yeah, though. That's very different than continually pe- treating people like crap, knowing it's wrong to do that, and then apologizing after the fact. They're not, mm. they're not the same thing. But isn't it though? Because you got that, yeah. Like how to be help me out. We'll just draw a line on this conversation because I don't think we're going to get to it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is a very interesting topic. I'm sure we'll come back to it many times with Trudy but um yeah it's absolutely a, it's a, yeah mm-hmm. I get what everyone's saying <laughs> any listeners like you know give us what you think you know this is clearly a very deep you know subject matter on Trudy's mental state whether she really is somebody who has an imbalance or she's just a spoiled brat or is it a mixture of the two what do you think let us know where have you been I found Ebony and made a deal we're safe from her and the locals for the time being. I see. Bray says it's okay, and it's okay. So let's move to Bray um, as he returns to the mall to tell the others about the deal with Ebony. Or does he? Because um, another conversation next um, attempts to force Bray into custody after he arrives. Um, uh, but it's in the scene that okay, it kind of annoys me because um, Bray doesn't actually reveal the actual terms of the deal to the rest of the tribe. And it's just like a recurring theme with Bray. I mean, does it annoy you? Um, what do you think about him not telling everyone about the deal? And like, do you think it makes him still be mysterious? Do you think, it's a, do you think the writers are trying to keep him as this mysterious figure? Or is it just annoying? Like, what do you think? Honestly, I thought it was kind of irrelevant. Like, the details of his deal with Ebony. Um, if, it, if, his de- if, if the deal had somehow involved the mall rats having to do something or, like, would you know, just affect their lives in some way, then I definitely would feel he should tell them. But literally, the only deal he made was, hey, I'll give you this thing that belonged to my brother if you leave us alone. You know what I mean? Like, I don't really feel like it's relevant for the Mallrats to need yeah. those details. I think the details were more relevant to Lex because he wanted to know if Bray managed to get from Ebony what he couldn't. Yeah, I definitely think that. I think that's what it, Yeah, That's the only reason why Lex cared. It's like, how did you work with her when she made me look a fool you know what i mean like mm-hmm. and but mm-hmm. otherwise nobody really cared yeah. about the details of whatever he might but have to do i think i think it's just the fact that bray like he's, he's part of this tribe he never willingly reveals details yeah really forced and, to me uh, like information is power and even if it's non-information like there really wasn't anything said but even just alluding to information that may or may not be there, like, gives you kind of a one-up. And if you want to be in the group, you probably, like, even if you're just like, yo, I gave her this necklace that was kind of stupid anyways, and she said she'd leave us alone. That was it. End of discussion. Like, you get it out there on the table, everyone kind of knows what's going on. Instead of, you know, or if there's a different deal made, like... You you let people into the fold. I would just assume that he managed to convince her we weren't worth attacking because we're not worth attacking. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I would just assume when Bray came back and he said, "I look, I just got on her wavelength. I just talked to her. 
and convince her to leave us alone, I would assume, like, since I've already understand now that he knew Ebony from before, Ebony knew him and his brother and Trudy from before, I'd be like, okay, maybe he cashed in on that friendship. You know, it's still possible. People still do it, you know. Um, not to mention, this is Bray. He was the brother of the leader of the Locos. You know what I mean? I'd be like, okay, it's quite possible he did have a relationship with Ebony that allowed him to convince her to just leave us alone. Why would Ebony want to bother us anyway? She saw for herself we're not threat. Um, yeah, I just, if it'd be, it'd be different if his lack of telling them the exact details had caused problems in the future. Like for them, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, maybe the necklace was important to all of them. Someone was pissed that he gave it. I don't know. Like if there was just, if there had been some kind of consequence to Bray not telling him that mm -hmm. detail, then I'd be like, Bray, you need, you should have told them, but there isn't, there's zero consequence to them knowing that detail. It's an intimate one. It's more, it's more, it's not the fact that he just, he doesn't tell them this, this deal, this deal. It's more that he doesn't tell them anything, like at all. Anything. Oh, this That's the thing. He won't venture forth anything unless forced to. So it's, it's, you know, I find it annoying. That's. That's what I was getting at, or trying to at least. Like, you kind of have to give, if you want to be a part of the group, you've got to have some sort of information flow. Even if it's not that yeah, big I mean, of since a he's deal. Arrived, he's had all like, since, even like, if you're like, hey guys, I ate the last can of corn. Like, sorry. You know, there's, you've got to give up information if you're going to live with a group of but people. But Gray has never done that. No, exactly. No, exactly. It wouldn't like, have any character for them to tell them what was going on. You know, because basically the tribe is just a bunch of roommates, mm -hmm. too. So, you know, we have this big survival thing and we have to, you know, fight for our place in the world. But at the end of the day, we also need to be a good roommate. And if that, there's an information exchange that needs to happen with that. And Bray doesn't give up any sort of information. I don't think that's fair. He has ever. gotten better. Okay, like, Bray is making progress on his journey to being someone who understands that you need to disclose some details to people in order to maintain trust between each other. So if you go back to Bray's, you know, the way he first was when he showed up, he really disclosed nothing, nothing. He didn't say anything. He held back very vital information that people needed to know so they could make an informed decision about anything. And then he had to learn the hard way that that's not acceptable and that the group wouldn't accept it. And so here he is, he is making strides to be more open with whatever is going on with him. You know, um, earlier Braid would, would never have admitted to being captured by the Locos. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? He would, he would have been like, I... I don't know, it's not your business where I was or what happened to me. Um, but he did. He admitted, I got captured by the Locos, you know. Um, this time, he admitted straight up, I went to talk to Ebony. I don't think earlier Bray would have done that. I think he is getting better at disclosing mm -hmm. information. For whatever reason, Bray's just a very private person, and he holds everything to his chest. I don't know why he thinks he has to hold everything to his chest. Maybe he has trust issues, just like, you know, Amber does. And um, But he is getting better at disclosing what is going on with him with the group uh next time he'll even ask permission before leaving <laughs> like he he will get he's getting better he's learning that okay this is required to be in this group they need to believe they can trust me even though i haven't done anything wrong they need to know they can trust me so i do think he's getting better at disclosing information i'm not surprised he didn't mention the details of this but he did tell him look i went to talk to ebony i made a deal with her she's gonna leave us alone and Nobody but Lex cared about the details. Like, they just didn't, you know? Um, 
And the only why, and we all know the only reason why Lex cared is because he's like, how did you manage to work with her? <laughs> yeah, I couldn't. My charms weren't enough. So how on earth did you nobody else even care? They just walked her like, oh, okay, thanks for using your whatever your relationship was 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 with her. So I get you guys' frustration. I don't think it makes it mysterious. I it's annoying, but it didn't annoy me in this episode. That's all. I do have to say it. I found it cute how Ray just congratulated the boys on the tripwire um, and just completely ignored whatever Lex was saying, telling, <laughs> "Okay, officer, I'll come quiet." There even was like a moment when the wire when he tripped it, like he kind of gave a little smile yeah. of like, "Oh, it worked!" Like that was cool, which I noticed this time around, which was it was pretty cute. funny. He was very impressed, like, "Oh, it worked." He's like, hey, well done, guys. I'm the reason why and this is not going to end out well for me, but... I'll tell you why it annoyed me, actually, a little bit more, because um, <laughs> everyone, like, when Bray arrived, everyone says, oh, it's just Bray. It's just Bray. We, we know that he comes and goes. Yeah. Like, this thing he does, that's fine. I think, and it's, I think it's that aspect that mm-hmm. makes it more annoying for me, that he just comes and doesn't reveal the information. I'm with you on that, Lance. Like, if you have a roommate who does that, you're like, what are you doing? Are you a drug dealer? Like, why are you coming and going? You guys, he's the Daryl of the group, man. Sometimes he just goes off with his bows and arrows and on his motorcycle, and everyone knows he'll make his way back, and then he's not going to cause any trouble for them, so they're just like, eh. But still, like I that they they given him all this trust. Like, oh yeah, he comes and goes. He can leave whenever he likes. Come back when he likes. Like, just at least just tell them. Like, there was no reason to keep that yeah. to his chest. Like, tell them. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it was personal. I don't know. He did take that talisman from his brother's body. I don't know why he took it. Think about it. If he doesn't really, ca- he never cared for his brother's persona, a zoot. Why would he take one of his belongings that zoot? That Martin leverage. Tri- he he didn't take it as leverage in the beginning. Yeah, I, you know I, what I mean, I think it meant something to the family. I, I I think it meant something to him, and he actually gave it up. So I do think there's something personal about that exchange yeah. with Ebony. You know, I mean, I'm not saying you guys are wrong to be annoyed <laughs> with it. <laughs> you know, Bray's comings and goings, and never feeling like he needs to say anything. And again, that's he's learning that he should. And he will. He'll get there. But um, Bray will always have a sense of keeping certain details to himself. He's just sort of a private person, you know. Um, and I get that. I don't disclose a lot to people. You know, I let them see what they see. But me, the inch of me, I don't let them see that at all. So I do get that. But I can, it's also, yeah, it can be really annoying. But I, th- I think it's really cute when um, Lex goes, the, the locos could be out there. And Bray's like, I don't think they would need me to signal them. <laughs> Your alarm would do it. <laughs> That's a cute exchange. Uh, and and just the way he responds to everything with a, I think I'm gonna need a good lawyer. <laughs> Let's move on to um, the ultimatum. So a frustrated Celine confronts Bray and tells him to choose between herself and Trudy. Yeah, was Celine right to force this ultimatum on Bray like this? Um, especially since we already know that Bray doesn't want complications. He doesn't want anything too heavy. Um, he spent months running from Trudy. Uh, yeah, what do you think about that sudden ultimatum? Anyone who puts an ultimatum like that in life is just not. No. But no. Should not happen. It's a good reason to kick her out. Yeah, like, uh, uh, that's not a good relationship. I'm, I'm on the fence. You know, on one hand, I do agree that uh, this is 
it's a bit much and a little soon to be basically telling someone they need to make a choice um, between you or someone else um, when you've only kissed a couple times and you've barely been flirting and it's mm. not even really understood. Um, I think it would have made more sense if Celine had simply, because I know Celine just wants an answer as to what the heck is going on between them. Does he actually want mm -hmm. to be with her or is he going to stick with Trudy? You know, uh, and she is right to want that answer. She definitely deserves to know, like, are you just messing around with me? Are you actually, do you want to be with me? Do you want to be my boyfriend? You know, because I need to know that. And that's fair. That's a totally fair thing for her to ask. Like, just can you clarify what this is? Because I'm not going to share you. And if you really feel like you need to take care of Trudy, then you need to stop kissing me. You know what I mean? Like, you need to stop, you know, leading me on and making me think that there's something between us. So I, like, I'm in the middle where she definitely had the right to ask him to make up his mind about whether or not he likes her and whether or not he wants to be with her. She's right to ask that. But yeah, making it come down to, look, you need to choose me or her. I just would, I just would want answers and she deserves answers. But it does seem like she's framing it as though, look, you, you need to make a choice about what, like me or her, when I really think she should have been saying, you need to make a choice about what it is you want and then stick with that because she is, he is leading Celine on yeah. right now. You know what I mean? And I mean, how would you feel if you had a guy who, you know, on one hand seems like, okay, he needs to go take care of this person. He needs to be with that person. And he's clearly telling that person that he'll try and take care of them. But then every time he's away, uh, you know, with you, he's showing an interest and in intimacy in you and he's kissing you. And you'd be like, dude, I just need to know where I stand with you. Like, are we boyfriend and girlfriend or am I just something to get your frustration out on? I don't want to be that, you know? I do think she would have had a better chance at the answer she liked if she wouldn't have instantly thrown in that she thinks he's, she's in love with him. You know, yeah. if she hadn't thrown in the love word, she might have Should I check her own feelings yeah. a little bit? Well, young people like to throw that around a lot. <laughs> you know, she thinks that what he feels for her is sincere, so why not tell him the truth about how she feels? You know, girls are usually more earnest about that than boys are. We're very quick to tell you, especially at that age, we're very quick to tell you we like you. And, you know boys are more likely to be like, uh, <laughs> I don't know what to do with that information. That's overwhelming. And then of course we learn through the aspect of dating that that's not something you jump into very quickly. But when you first start dating, you don't know that and you will throw it out there. You'll tell someone you love them in a heartbeat before you learn that, um, discretion, honey, <laughs> pull it back a little bit. And then there are people who would love to hear someone that say that to them immediately, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, if Brenda told her, I love you, she would have been on cloud nine. So, of course, she thinks that she should tell him that. <laughs> For Pete's sake, Trudy did it right after his brother was dead. I mean, there's just no sense of, you can hold that back a little bit. Maybe this is not the right time. It's too soon to say that to somebody. Um, I don't think she would have gotten the answer. She, I don't know if she would have gotten, I think she deserved an answer. That's all I can say. Maybe she shouldn't have framed it the way she did as an ultimatum, but... He does need to make a choice. He can't keep dabbling between the two of them. Even Amber told him, dude, you need to make up your mind. I actually prefer the way Celine put it compared to Amber. Because Celine doesn't insinuate that he has to choose either one. Just that he has to choose. She doesn't say you have to choose me or you have to choose Trudy. Just, dude, make a choice as to what the deal is. 
Amber insinuates that he has to choose Trudy because Trudy's his responsibility. And I don't think that's fair. Um, I don't think it's fair for anyone to try and say that Trudy is Bray's responsibility because she's not. And I'm firm on that. Just because he chose to take care of her when, you know, when she was pregnant, he was trying to bring her and his brother back together. There's nothing in the rule book that says Bray had to take on this responsibility. And I, I don't think it's fair for anyone to tell him that that's, it's on him. You know, yes, Trudy's fragile, but I'm sorry, that's not Bray's problem. He doesn't have to take it on. It's admirable for him to do it, but he doesn't have to. And uh, I don't think that was fair of Amber at all. Yeah, that was one of, one of my next questions I was going to ask. Um, in the scene later on with Trudy, um, Bray, Bray practically tells her that um, he forgot about their commitment and that he, well, was practically willing to give up his own happiness to help keep her own mental um, issues at bay. Um, did anyone feel sorry for him at that point? I did. I did. Absolutely. No one else is, I mean, unless it's your children or maybe your parents, you are not responsible for someone else's emotional state. And it's not fair that Trudy's going through this, but it's not on Bray. It's not his responsibility. And I don't think that he should be expected to throw away his own well-being to take care of her. It's not even what she wants anyway. I mean, look at the way she reacts. Here he is saying, I'll, I'll be there for you. I forgot my responsibility. And she throws another temper tantrum because it's not the declaration of love she wanted. You know, he already told you he doesn't love you, but he is trying to commit to you in some way. And of course, it's still not what you want. And Bray shouldn't have been put in that position in the first place at all. It's not fair to him. And none of this has been fair to him. And uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't care for that. And I, I did feel bad for him. Sabine? <laughs> oh, I know. I already know. I can't. Tell me, please. It's all him. He should do this. Go ahead. I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> I know. I, I felt bad for Bray. But on the other hand, he admits that he made a commitment to her and to Brady, and he admits that he made her believe he would be there for her always, you know? And he might have seen it differently than he meant it, but he does realize very well that that's how it came across to her. That doesn't mean he has to be her boyfriend. It doesn't mean he can, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he can be there for Trudy and Brady and not be her partner. You know what I mean? Like he, when he committed to her, he meant, I'm never going to abandon you. I'm never going to leave you in the streets on your own. I will make sure you guys have a roof over your head. Yeah. It's not the same as being like, I'm going to be your lifelong partner and help you raise your kid. You know, it's not fair to him that that's the way Trudy saw it. And he's just trying to be fair right now. He's just trying to like make up with her. Mm -hmm. This isn't his kid. He does not owe these two anything. I'm sorry. I know that may sound cold-blooded, but um, Bray chose to be a good person and take care of them. He didn't have to. And he is looking after Trudy, even without being her partner. And he very carefully tells her that he's not in love with her, but he, you know, feels responsibility for her. Mm -hmm. I was like, it's not fair. I just don't think it's right. I don't, I don't like when things, I really didn't like Amber doing that at all. That's where I feel like she really took it too far in getting involved in this love triangle. Just Amber, enough. Enough is enough. I get why she did it. I understand. She's very worried about Trudy, you know, but not really fair. And I get, you know, he did bring Trudy there. He, so in Amber's eyes, maybe Trudy really is his problem because they wouldn't be dealing with Trudy if it wasn't for Bray. Yeah, to, to me, it always, it always felt like Trudy was sort of Bray's responsibility in this. And I know that's not fair on him, but yeah, I guess he just put himself in that position as well. 
going to suck. That really does. You're just trying to do the right mm-hmm. thing. And the whole point was to get her back with his brother to get their family together. And then his brother gets himself killed. And she gets unhinged. And then it's just like, all of a sudden, everyone's expecting him to step up to the plate. And that's not fair, you know? And then there's even just a sense of, should I? Is that my responsibility? Is that what I should do? You know? And suddenly his life is just not his own anymore. It hasn't been ever since the virus, all because of his brother, you know? And that's a lot of baggage. That's a lot of baggage. I would strangle one of my brothers if they put me through that. (laughs) I so would. And he's so mad at them for leaving me in that situation. Ugh. Because you can see the moment where I realized he was never going to be free again. Never be free to make his own decisions and have things that would make him happy. I mean, when he's talking to Amber and talking about love, I do think he's talking about how he feels about her, but he doesn't feel the freedom to explore those feelings. Like, he's not, he's not in love with Celine. So it's easy to dabble in a flirtation with Celine without thinking much about it. He won't let himself do that with Amber because it means too much, you know, and he's stuck like with this yoke around his neck. And here's Amber telling him he has to keep it on because it's the right thing. And he's like, what about love, Amber? Isn't it worse to fake it? You know what I mean? He's tired of faking it. He wants to be able to tell her and she's, he's, it's almost like he's looking for that hint, permission from her to say how he really feels. And Mm. It's one of the few moments I really do like between Bray and Amber. It's a lot not being said there. Ebony led me on. I was powerless. It was like she cast some spell over me. Yeah, that's it. Like she hypnotized me. Use magic or something? You're pathetic. Um, from one relationship to another, let's move on to Lex. <laughs> Um, I want to talk about this scene because it, it did make me laugh. What are the panel's thoughts about Lex's defense um, to Zandra about what happened with Ebony, where he mentions hypnotism and magic? <laughs> <laughs> what caused him to do what he did? Barf. Jeez. <laughs> Give me a doggy bag. Ugh. <laughs> that was the lamest, most unimaginative excuse. That was like a, a dog at my homework. <laughs> that was so bad. It's like, why did you even say that? <laughs> I mean, saying that to Ryan is one thing. Saying that to Zandra, though. Uh, oh my gosh. You gotta admit, though, it is fun to watch him squirm. Like, that was. He was squirming, <laughs> and he needed a something. And, you know, it's like. I think they almost hinted at one point, like, that Ebony is some sort of mystic of some sort so like sure at the time it sounds good that's the only thing i got going for me right now let's roll with it and see what happens it was dumb but <sighs> the high priestess of the locos casting a spell <laughs> i guess i can't find it funny because when you go back to that scene between lex and ebony and knowing that lex was perfectly willing to sexually assault her mm-hmm. and now he's painting it as though she was the one who seduced him it's just really gross. It makes me want to vomit that that's the way he paints what he was doing. Like, ugh. It'd be different if it had been, cons- you know, perfectly consensual, the flirtation between him and Ebony. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Then he could say that and it'd be funny. But um, no, he was going to that cage to force himself on her. And now he's painting it as, oh, she, she tricked me. She hypnotized me. I was out of my control. And I'm like, you're disgusting. You really are inexcusably disgusting. I, I do have to say, I really like 
Sandra's response to it, but a you're pathetic. <laughs> yes. You know? You've come to Bravo, it's not gonna work. Yeah, I do I've enjoyed Zandra's reaction to it. Even though I know for Zandra it's not really even about a moralistic issue that for her it's just, you know, her female ego is bruised and she's angry. It's it's been fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Even though she's more upset about this than she was about his sexual assault. Like seriously, this is a messed up relationship. Oh, it hurts my head. But it's real. I've seen these relationships. And yeah, Lex's frustration obviously leads us to the next scene um, where he takes it out on a punching bag. And it's in that scene where Tysan arrives and gives him a really interesting discussion about um, multiple wives in old tribes throughout history. And she mentions Zandra's inability to give Lex what he wants. Um, yeah, I mean, that was a sudden turn by Tai San. That did it surprise the panel at all? Um especially after everything that Tai San had been saying to Zandra about um not taking that step with Lex until she, everything was ready and right. Um and she just kinda tries to grab Lex from under her. I yeah, what do you think about what she did? To me it always felt like Tai San tells everyone what they want to hear. You know, she tells Zandra what Zandra needs to hear. She tells Lex what Lex needs to hear. Because Lex wants to know that somehow it would be okay for him to sleep with someone else. And she gives him that option, that suggestion. Mm. Well, she doesn't believe in monogamy. No. You know, so she doesn't think there's anything wrong with it. Um, and she only suggests marriage to Zandra because Zandra wants commitment and blah, blah, blah. But um, yeah, she herself doesn't believe in any of that anyway. She understands that's their hang-up, not hers. Um, mm-hmm. I've... <sighs> Again, I'm just like in the middle when it comes to Tysan. I think it's cool that she does recognize the psychology of the people around her. Yeah, Lex is sexually frustrated and he's become, you know, he's being more aggressively violent than he normally would be and very hard to work with because of it. And while someone else would suggest, you know, therapy, let's talk this out. She just goes straight to the quick. Well, we got to work this out physically then, you know, um, I don't see it as her swooping in and trying to get him because she doesn't actually want him. Uh, She really does. She's looking at him like a project. And that's, again, that's a problem with some of her beliefs. She does not see this as just people. And she doesn't think about the consequences of some of these actions she's going to take. She just, she's looking at Lex, the sexual frustration. She knows it won't do any good for he and Zandra to hook up now, which is why she does Zandra to wait. And, you know, she's right. That was good advice. But she also recognizing that Lex isn't very productive in this headspace. And you can see her with the wheels turning in her head, like thinking to herself, well, I guess I could sleep with him. He's attractive. He's easy on the eyes. I could try this out and see if I can fix him. But that's how she sees him as something to fix. She's thinking like Jack. She sees a problem. She sees a solution. So she goes straight ahead. Yeah. And there's a high at figuring, thinking this is something she could solve, you know, and she thinks it's going to be that easy. It's just, that's all Lex needs. He just needs sex and then he'll be a productive member of society again. And then he and Zandra will be in a better place. And then Zandra can get what, he wa- what she wants and it'll be harmonious for everybody, you know, and... all for the good of the tribe. Because she personally does not care what about the fallout. You know, she's just in this broad scope of things. She doesn't care that Lex's feelings could get hurt, which they will, you know, because um, she's not looking at him as a person in that sense. He's just another piece in a machine in a way. And she's just greasing the wheel. 
you know, and never occurs to her the wheel might have taken the grease and greasing in a different way. Like I thought you cared about me. <laughs> it's like, uh, it's an admirable side of Tysan, but at the same time, it's like, ugh, good Lord, you gurus, you can be dangerous. Mm-hmm. But it is something, it was refreshing, you know, to have um, another female character who's just so open with her sexuality and uh, doesn't have any hangups about it. I thought that was cool. And I'm sure it's, um, you know, because the way she presents herself to him, like, do you find me attractive? Do I look more like a woman? You know, she's trying to get a readout. Would he be open to this? Mm-hmm. And, you know, he glances at her like, a, okay. <laughs> and she's like, it's like she gets it in her head like, okay, I think he'd be receptive. I'm going to try it. I'm going to try out this new experiment and see how it works without any real thought of uh, these are human beings, you know. Problem solution. Yeah, I'll fix this for everybody and it'll be fine. <laughs> That's what she's thinking. I'm going to fix yeah. this. Yeah, I mean, if he gets his sexual frustration out of the way, then that'll be over and done with in her head. Because it's not just Zandra he messes up with because of his sexual yeah. frustration. He messed it up with Ebony, too. If he was mm-hmm. getting it, he wouldn't have had the baby batter on the brain and he would have been able to guard Ebony properly. Mm-hmm. But because he's, I guess, a slave to his passions or whatever. <laughs> She's like, um, let me get your head straight. Let me, this is, you know, you have a chemical imbalance. It'll be good for everybody if he's not so horny, I guess. That leads us to our final thoughts of the episode, where some big things start to happen. As well, obviously, as well as Ty San slipping into Lex's bed, we also cut to Trudy, um, who steals pills from Dow and proceeds to overdose. Yeah, like, immediate thoughts. What did you think? I thought, oh, this poor girl is so tired of life and everything. Mm. Uh, why is she doing this in front of that poor little innocent baby? You know, she fought so hard to take her back from Celine and thinking Celine stole her from her. Only to just end things? Again, I don't really think Trudy cares much about anybody else. Not Brady. No, she doesn't care about anybody else. And she doesn't care how her actions affect them. That's why she behaves the way she does. And whether or not it's because she's spoiled or because she's got a condition, I'm not going to argue that point, but where she is emotionally, she does not care about other people. She doesn't care how she treats them. She doesn't care how her behavior affects them. So she certainly does not care how this could affect her daughter. I don't even think Trudy would care if there was a possibility for Brady to remember it. And the only reason I think she made a big fuss with Celine having taken Brady's, I think she just wanted a reason to be upset. Mm-hmm. Because logically, mm-hmm. come on, she literally saw Bray take Brady from the room, you know, um, because she confessed that she didn't have any nappy. She'd run out. She, the baby was screaming. You know, she was too busy concentrating on whether or not he'd slept with Ebony, you know, and so she knows he took Brady. She's just looking for a reason to be upset and have a go at Celine. And she was just hoping to catch the baby with Celine. Maybe Braid might've passed the baby onto her. So she could just scream at her, take out her frustrations on her, but Celine wasn't having it. And she didn't have the baby, you know, and which I think is a funny conversation. <laughs> Trudy's talking so entitled. Um, I brought her into this world. How dare you say things? And it's like, you know, it takes a lot more to be a parent than to produce a child. I hate to break it to you. Yeah, you gave birth to her. You're still not a mother, honey. You know, um, even cockroaches have kids, all right? It's nothing special to have a child. It's about raising them and taking care of them, which you do not do. You technically aren't a mom. Sorry. So, yeah, that whole thing. (laughs) 
kidnapping the baby. Um, the whole pill scene. I think she just wanted to be gone from everything. All the friggin' drama to be over with. I wonder, I'm trying to figure out, I want to be sensitive. This is a very sensitive topic, so I do not want to be flipping or just throw things out there. I don't want to offend anybody. I have fortunately never had to deal with, like, this kind of clinical depression. Um, postpartum depression is very different what I went through. Um, I have never been suicidal. I have never actually wanted to end my life. I have too much of an ego for it. I, I cannot. I don't like the idea of even fathoming life without me in it. So, um, and I don't know what it's like to feel that way. And uh, I've had, I've lost friends to suicide and it's really hard to wrap your head around that. Or if Trudy's suffering from suicidal ideology, which is different. Um, I did have that. A lot of people have that. The idea that suicide can fix things, but it's also under the fantasy that you'll somehow be able to witness that. It's like someone who wants to use suicide as a revenge because somewhere in their mind, they feel like they might even see the revenge. You know, um, I used to be obsessed with the idea that if I died, oh, these people would be sorry or you'll miss me when I'm gone. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to actually be dead. I just... I saw it as a way of, I don't know, emotionally getting back at other people or proving that I was truly loved because somewhere in my head, I hadn't fathomed, I'm not going to see any of this. I'm not going to be able to witness it. I'm not going to be at my funeral and see people cry over me. So I'm not really sure which one Trudy's dealing with, you know, um, whether or not she's using this as a way to get back or if she truly does not want to be alive anymore. I don't know. It is something she stated before, though, that she doesn't want to live like this. What, what use is, is it to be alive if she can't have what she dreamed of having? But then there are other things that I found strange about the suicide that almost make me feel like she wanted to get caught. In the last couple of days, how many times has someone had to come in the room because Brady was screaming, right? And Brady still isn't really sleeping fully through the night. So this is a good chance Brady's going to wake up and cry which means there's a good chance someone's going to come into the room and see what Trudy has done. And again, I, I'm, I'm not, I've never been through this. So I don't know what the mind frame of someone who really feels like this is. I just, you know, usually statistically, people who truly want to kill themselves make sure they can't get caught in any way so it can't be stopped compared to people who are crying out for help might do it in a way where there's a chance someone might find him. I don't know if that's, I'm not saying that that's the hard and fast rule or anything, but I just wonder if she did want to get caught, you know? Mm. She wouldn't have taken that many pills, though. If she, We don't know how many she took. Yeah. We know she dumped the pill bottle out, but we, don't, we only see her take two, and then the screen goes to black. And when we see her again, we don't know how many she took. Yeah, but otherwise she would have hidden some. She didn't care, remember? She did not care. It, this is a showpiece, you know what I mean? That's what I'm saying. Like, mm -hmm. she's, this is a dramatic statement. It's very dramatic, all of it. It's very Shakespearean, mm -hmm. dropping all the pills out and then going until she falls asleep. I don't, it feels like a statement. It's like pouring rose petals over your body before you, you go out. I don't know. It, it, I don't know. I felt like, you know, she either wanted to be caught or she wanted people to feel bad when they found her, you know? Probably a bit of both. Yeah. Because I used to do weird things like that. I remember um, I was really, like I said, suicidal ideology. I was a little obsessed with the idea of my death and the effects it would have on other people, even though I didn't personally want to die. Um, I just wished I could see how my death would affect others. I remember like 
I would do stupid things. Like my mom would walk into the dining room and I'd be laying there on the floor as so I had fallen off the chair and I'd have my head at a weird angle. I just wanted to get a reaction to her. And, and of course she would be like, she wouldn't either. She wouldn't say anything or she'd be like, what are you doing? And I'm like, you wouldn't react that way if I was really dead. What would you do if I was really dead mom? You know? And she'd just leave the room, you know, um, because I was just being dramatic. But yeah, I was a little obsessed with the idea of how others would react to finding me that way. And, you know, I honestly, at age 16, thought the most romantic thing that could ever happen was to die in the arms of the man who loved me. And, you know, like that's the last thing I see is his tears over me. And he'll never love again because I was so amazing. Like, so I, I don't know. I'm like, is that where Trudy's head is? Like that idea that her death will have some huge profound effect on the people who have wronged her or hurt her. and now they'll be sorry and but it still has to suck to feel like that bad that you would do it that you would act on it because i don't know what that's like it's really dark though you know uh to mm -hmm. like the show just keeps surprising me of where it was willing to go mm -hmm. yeah like things were already just heavy enough we just mm -hmm. dealt with the sexual assault storyline a couple episodes ago and we're still doing the ramifications of it and and now we have this child who decides to take her life there's no chance to catch a breath between these these moments and these horrible mm. events. Well, for me, it, it did feel fitting for Trudy's state of mind. Oh, yeah, definitely. It didn't feel like it came out of nowhere. It was like, oh, yeah, we should have seen this coming. Yeah. I mean, even the tipping point makes sense. You know, when Bray is telling her, like, she's a responsibility, she's a duty, and it's almost like that's the moment it hits her. He's never going to love me. That's all mm -hmm. I'll ever be to him. That's the only reason he ever took me in. And she can't handle it, you know? I think Trudy definitely has a lot of feelings that she's wrestling <laughs> with. And, you know, at that age and with what's going on, there that is an out. That is a very big out. I can understand why she'd want that, though. Yeah. As someone who has been there at that mm -hmm. age, too. Like, you know, and that was just having to deal with, like, grades and things and not being liked in school and all of those dramas like put a baby on top of that put a you know the world falling apart on that like it's a very easy world mm -hmm. to go down and to stay down yep. in i how did it um, can you recall your first like the first time you saw it can you recall whether or not you believed that was it for trudy like she would actually die no but at that age i'd already seen suicide attempts around me yeah i i had a feeling that maybe because of how the show didn't really hold back on everything um you know and it would be kind of almost a fitting centerpiece to like zoot's dead trudy's now dead and, and here's now. the little baby yeah and here's a baby like what's gonna happen to her kind of thing so i don't think i put it past them to do that um especially because we were kind of lulled into that thinking with the false sense was Zoot. Like, we didn't think Zoot would actually die, I guess. I assume Bray would find her. Yeah. Oh, I thought for sure Bray would find her. You know, and if she didn't die, I thought that maybe there would be a sort of a something like she wasn't fully back to herself um, mm -hmm. as it often happens. Mm -hmm. Like, so I, I saw a lot of different ways this could end. Trudy. I'm trying to remember. I I think I was still shocked that this was the kind of accumulation of everything. Yeah. And I didn't realize, like, 
I was surprised this, this is what was, she was going to do. I didn't think it would end in this way. Um, but yeah, I can't remember if I, I believe that she'd die or not. Um, yeah, I can't remember that, but it did shock me when I saw that scene. I think it's all about perspective there, though. I mean, when, when this aired, I was in a dark place in my life, so to me, it made yeah. total sense. But yeah, I can see how people who weren't struggling with a lot of things back then would see it differently. Mm-hmm. I will say that's a definite interesting way the writers decide to frame Trudy's behavior. Like we've already argued, we don't know how much of it is actually a hormonal or chemical imbalance or whether or not it's just her choosing to behave a certain way, you know, and that's a fair argument right there. But you have to admit there's something very fascinating about the writers showing it from the perspective of everybody else. Sometimes they're sympathetic to her, but mm-hmm. often and not just as often they'll paint her behavior as completely um, un- unacceptable and you, you, you totally feel for the others and how impatient they are dealing with her. Because in truth, that is the case. Even if you're going through a rough time, even if you have a legit reason to be going through a hard time, life doesn't throw you a bone because of it. You know, um, every, you know you, you're not caught any slack just because mm-hmm. you're going through a rough time. You can be going through genuine clinical depression, but that doesn't mean life will suddenly give you a pass because mm-hmm. of it. And it's also a really honest portrayal of how these conditions can affect the people around you. Um, you basically become a monster and it's not because, you know, you know, you don't want to be, you're not trying to be, but you know, when they tell you, you know, you see these uh, therapy, it's not just the person with depression who's suffering. It's their entire family. It's all the people around them. Everyone has a relationship with them who suffer from Mm -hmm. it too. And so I do think that's interesting that whatever's going on with Trudy is framed in that way. The kids do get impatient with her they get angry at her. We, the audience get annoyed with her. You know, she's not, cut any slack (laughs) you know despite like whatever it is she's going through um people lose their patience with her they get fed up with her and you know even after this people will still be annoyed with her for doing it in the first place uh and you know that's pretty ballsy to treat any kind of condition with that kind of realistic reaction to it rather than sugarcoating it or you know they're just that's how people react you know Mm -hmm. Especially if you don't know exactly what somebody's going through. You don't know all the details um, of what's going on in their head. All you know is you're reacting to the way they treat you. You're reacting to the way they act, you know. And that's how most of the kids in the mall are. They're reacting to the way Trudy behaves. And her behavior is awful, so they just don't like her. And they don't have the patience for her. Maybe that's not fair, but it's realistic. Not to mention their kids, too, you know. I thought she could die. (laughs) I do recall that. At this point, I was like, you know, I think anything's up for <laughs> I thought it was, I was like, wow, that would, that's a dark way to end this girl's storyline. <laughs> oh my gosh. You guys tortured this poor kid and now you're going to let her die. <laughs> oh my word. I, I did think for a second, you know, they might just go there. The show keeps surprising me, so. And I thought it was kind of a fitting song, swan song for mm-hmm. Trudy, though. Have this tragic character come in and then, yeah. but they'd already done it with Zoot, so I was like, yeah, exactly. Maybe That's it is about Brady. It <laughs> yeah, that would have had a big impact on Brady. That would have been <laughs> very. Before you knew possible. it, both your parents ended their lives, got themselves killed, or whatever, before you could ever remember them. And so, for all I knew, yeah, this was her story and not Trudy or Zoots. So. And then Brady would have been really mm-hmm. stuck with her. <laughs> yeah. 
So I, at this point, I was like, oh, it's totally possible. The show keeps surprising me. I don't know where the narrative's going. So I guess that's a tragic end to this character. <laughs> like, wow. Okay. So that brings episode 22 a close. Thank you once again to the panel. And we will see you next time for episode 21. So until then, bye. 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 Bye.